Hi everyone, Sebastian Richard coming to you live from Facebook, from YouTube, from LinkedIn. Welcome, welcome. I'm a founder of the Thriving on Purpose uh, Ministries along with my wife who isn't here tonight. But uh, so it's a solo mission tonight. But do I have something good for you? Tonight's broadcast is titled Six Steps to Becoming a Street Smart Christian. And I, I'm going to cover a lot of materials tonight. This is going to really bless you. So make sure you share the broadcast with friends and family on social media, because I know this is going to bless you and it's going to bless other people as well, because we live in difficult times. I think you've probably noticed that. And uh, the devil has upped his game. There is uh man, it's, it's absolutely crazy out there. Uh, but the, the level of warfare that we're dealing with, is uh, it's pretty intense, and uh, it, I know for a fact that the demonic activity uh, has uh, has gone up, and also thank God the angelic activity as well. Spiritual warfare is on right now. There's so many uh, things happening in our world, in our countries, in our communities. Uh, so we need to be street smart Christians, and we're going to look at what that means exactly because uh, a lot of you know, every believer like everybody i know uh, we we like to consider ourselves pretty uh, informed pretty smart especially if we know our bible i know i know believers who who can recite the bible by heart and that's a great thing because when you know the Bible by heart, you you can engage in warfare, you can you can uh, block the enemy's attacks better, and you're using your sword, which is the the word of God, in a good way and in a more efficient way. However, uh, there's a problem if that's all you know and you don't understand the full picture of what's going on. If you don't know, on the one end, of course, what God is doing, prophetically speaking, in these times, but if you don't know what the enemy is planning, what his agenda is, and what he's trying to accomplish, it's very hard to fight a good uh, a good fight if you don't know what your enemy is doing. Uh, you know, I, I say it all the time. Uh, look at the best boxers in history. Why were they the best. Take Muhammad Ali, for example. Why was he the best? Well, he was the best because of his training, his conditioning, his technique. Okay. So in other words, he took care of how he trained, how he prepared himself, but he also, any good boxer will also study their adversary. They'll know how their adversary moves, what their methods are, what their technique is, and how to counteract that. So if you're going to be a street smart Christian, obviously, that's going to be something you're going to need to learn to do. So uh, like I said, we've had some church smart Christians uh, for a long time. Now uh, the church has been, uh, and the church, I should say, small seed, the buildings, uh, I've been, so many have been closed down. Uh, the governments have been uh Forbidding in certain nations. I'm in Canada. The government's been putting their noses where it should, where it doesn't belong, and closing down churches. Now, obviously, that's not the church big C. Uh, the church big C is the, uh, the the body of believers, and that's always going to be alive as long as the believers are on the earth. So the small C buildings, that's one thing. We can handle that. We can the, the church it keeps thriving even if buildings are closed down. But what I'm saying is the enemy has been. Uh, raising his game. He's been raising his game, bringing things to us that we've, we, we, like in Western countries, we haven't been used to these things. Uh, before I go on, I just want to say a shout out to our listeners, uh, whether you listen to us on YouTube or on the podcast, uh, 
Elizabeth always uh, looks at the numbers. She she shared the, the the statistics with me, and she told me that we have a lot of listeners in the U.S. Uh, in southern states, Texas, Alabama, and, and such. I, I just want to give a big shout out to you guys, people in India. Thanks for following Thriving on Purpose Ministries. Uh, God bless you. So everybody who's listening in the uh, the podcast or the broadcast. I just want to say a big shout out and we love you and we think of you and uh, we really have you on our hearts. So the enemy has been upping his game. The enemy has been doing things that we are seeing right now that are that for for, for myself, even myself, I, I was flabbergasted at some of the stuff I saw in the last year and a half. And uh, and I was expecting a lot of it because I, I, I kept myself in the know of uh, the enemy's agenda and all that. So there's a lot of stuff that, that that's been done that I was like, even as, as someone who's in the know of what the enemy was planning, I was like, whoa, that's that's ballsy. That's a bold move. What are they doing? That's crazy. Uh, so we've seen they've been trying to implement socialism. They've been trying to implement communism. They're, they've been pushing their agenda, pushing their agenda, pushing hard. They did their big push. But uh, they've been doing it for decades. And that's something that most uh, people don't know. Most most believers don't um, understand how gradual this whole process has been. What we're seeing now is that the water's at the boiling point. Uh, but the water was not always boiling, but it was, the heat was on. And you know the story of the frog in the kettle, right? You put the frog in, in uh, cold water or, or, or room temperature water. And uh, the, the, if you put the heat on, the frog is going to stay there until the water is boiling and the frog is dead in the water. So that's the, the analogy that we're living now. This heat has been on us for a long time. It's not something that was planned in the last four or five years. It's something that's been decades in the planning. And I have the proof in the pudding that I want to share with you tonight. Uh, there's a list of 45 points called the communist agenda that was written in a 1963 book. Think about that, 1963. Now that's a long time ago. I wasn't even born. I was born in 74 for those interested. <laughs> but the book, The Naked Communist in 1963 was written and they put up a list in that book of 45 points which listed the communist agenda to basically take over the West, but especially take over the United States. And of course, I'm not going to go down the whole list of 45 points for you guys tonight, but I wanted to, to go down the list of a few points that you guys are going to look, whoa, wow, that was 1963, absolutely. Another thing that I wanted to note, uh, some of you might be familiar with Richard Wormbrand. Richard Wormbrand was a pastor uh, in... Uh, I think it was back in the Second World War, those back in those years, uh, in Europe, in Europe. And he wrote a book because he was tortured under the communist regime. And I forget where he used to live. I don't know if it was Czechoslovakia. I, I forget where he used to live. But he wrote that book after having been through the prisons over there for his faith. And the book Tortured for Christ became a bestseller in Christian circles. I highly recommend it if you want to read what it's like to be a Christian under communism. Uh, it's pretty bad. But there's another book that he wrote that many people are not aware of, that they, don't, they just don't know that he wrote that book. He wrote a book called Marx and Satan. Marx and Satan. And that book 
is almost becoming a banned book because he's it's a truth teller book in which Richard Wormbrand basically says that communism is Satan's political party. So it 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 comes up upon you just like the devil does. Um, you don't see him coming. And communism and socialism is the same way. But I'm not going to go. It's, this show is not about politics. It's about becoming a street smart Christian. But I just wanted to throw that out there for you guys. So just so you guys know what we're up against. Okay. Because before I go into six steps to becoming a street smart uh, Christian, I want to set the stage by giving you guys what we're up against. Because a lot of Christians... Uh, are not fully aware, like they've seen a great deal in the last year and a half. Obviously, that's a great wake-up call for most everybody, but there's they're still not fully aware of what they're up against. So we're going to go through uh, a few of those uh, points in the communist agenda listed in the book, The Naked Communist, 1963 book. Point number seven was written. It says, grant recognition of red China admission of red china to the united nations that was one of the things that they wanted to implant and they did so that's the that's a done deal point 17 said get control of the schools use schools as transmission belts for socialism and current communist propaganda soften the curric the curriculum get control of teachers associations Put the party line in textbooks. Gain, uh, number 18, gain control of all student newspapers. So obviously the agenda, the, uh, much of what we're seeing today had begun. And that, that, like I said, that book's 1963. So it was about taking control of the minds of our youth. Now, if you take control of the minds of youth, what happens? Well, you have the control of, of tomorrow of what people are going to be believing tomorrow. So that's a great tactic if you want to implement an agenda, whether the, the agenda is good or bad. Uh, you know, the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he gets older, he will not depart from it. Well, guess what? It works both ways. It works for the good stuff when you're training up your child uh, with the biblical values, trying to train him up to fear the Lord and, and walk in his ways and uh, be a good citizen. So that works that way, but it also works the other way around. And I don't—I forget who said that. And I wish I had the, the exact quote, but I remember one of the one of the elites, one of the high-ranking, uh, maybe the uh, Rothschild—I forget who it was—but it was it was someone of high rank in the elite um, uh, agenda implementation. He said, uh, "Give me control." Uh, no, he says, "Give me a child when he's before the age of seven. And I will be able to implement any belief system in that child for the rest of his life. That's basically the crux of the quote. And I wish I had that quote, but it was really uh, scary because the person who said that was uh, not a uh, choir boy. Let's just put it that way. Number 20. Uh, I'm still going through a, a few of the points in that book, The Naked Communist. Infiltrate the press. Get control of book review assignments editorial writing, policy-making positions. Obviously, if you take control of the press, you take control of a heck of a lot of information uh, of what people think, what people believe. And we know they've been doing that through the media. They've been infiltrating it at all the levels 
local, uh, citywide, and uh, uh, country, and, and etc. So most of our press has been infiltrated by these uh, this agenda and these people, I should say. Uh, gain control, number 21, gain control of key positions in radio, TV, and motion pictures. <laughs> I mean, I don't need to say much here. I mean, obviously, if you if you don't see this, if you're a Christian and you haven't noticed this, well, you're, you're blind. There's a problem here. You need to wake up. But I know that my listeners know this. Uh, but I wanted to get back at number 17 where it says get control of the schools, just how bad it got. I was watching a um, a documentary, maybe a year ago, something like that. Uh, that was that had been made about the rise of communist, the communist agenda in America, and it was a Christian documentary, very well made, very thoughtful, very very thought provoking. And uh, the the filmmaker, the guy who made the documentary documentary was talking on camera and was saying uh, that when he launched the documentary, he was invited to give speeches across the country, present the, the film in, in schools and in all kinds of community places. And one day he was invited, I, I forget what state it was, it was in the United States, he was invited at a school to give a presentation of the movie and then uh, have a Q&A. So he did the, what he usually did when he did this presentation. And he's there with his associates and all that. And, and the the presentation is over and people are starting to leave. And there's some people who come and chit chat with him and, and say, thank you. And you know how it goes. Right. And there's a man who shows up and he comes to him and he says, wow, he says that was really, really well researched. Very, very thoughtful, very, very thought provoking, uh, very well researched materials. You really understand the communist agenda. It's actually, wow. Uh, and then he, then he gets closer and he looks at him and he says, but you will lose because we have your children. And the guy turned his back and walked away. And what was even more shocking is that the man who told him that was a teacher at that very school. Now talk about scary. Like that, that is, it's stuff like that that we're dealing with. Uh, we're talking, we're talking about infiltration at all levels of society. And obviously, as believers, we've been, we've been fighting back in all kinds of ways uh, through trying to, to, to talk to our councilmen or, or, or our governors or whatever, uh, our, our leaders, uh, trying to fight back, fight certain agendas and all that. And that's all good and dandy. But uh, we, we need to be more in the know of what we're actually dealing with if we're going to do efficient spiritual warfare. And that's the type of stuff that uh, I saw in my years of studying uh, the agenda of the enemy. I understood that their level of organization, the way they are organized in implementing their own agenda, I'm sorry to say, and it's kind of sad, but it's more cohesive than Christianity. See, Christianity, we, we're like this super strong guy who doesn't really know how to fight. But if he did, he would massacre every, everybody. You know what I'm saying? Like these guys, they, they have to train five times harder than we do to implement not even half as what we can do because God's on our side. 
but because they they do so much more homework and they they put so much more effort in it, they have a more cohesive unit, and that's what is needed for us today to to bring that up, so that we can like if man if Christian if Christians were just half as uh, organized or cohesive as the enemies are, it would be incredible how much control and territory we would take back from Satan. It wouldn't even be funny. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't even be fair. And I'm saying this in all sincerity. If we just learned half to, to work half as much, but see, that's what they've been doing in the last year and a half, and we've seen it very, very much. The division in the body of Christ that they have been causing, and they're experts at that. They're really, really good at the divide and conquer method. And they've been doing that methodically, thoughtfully, by sending uh, witches and warlocks and, and, and occultists inside the churches to divide congregations, divide the body of Christ. Uh, that's why there's been so many churches that were split and so, so many churches closed down and so, so many pastors go on burnouts. There's a lot of stuff that happens that we're just not aware of or that we're not in the know on how to fight it. It's it's really, we're, we're really, uh, Jesus said we're sheep and, and he's right. But we need to become, uh, see, they send their wolves in sheep's clothing, right? They, they That's what the enemy does. They send wolves in sheep's clothing. But we need to be lions in sheep's clothing. And that's what we can be. That's what we can be if we become street smart Christians. I'm going to continue down the list here of the points I wanted to share with you guys. It's pretty incredible stuff. Uh, num number 22. Continue discrediting American culture by degrading all forms of artistic expression. An American communist cell was told to eliminate all good sculpture from parks and buildings substitute shapeless, awkward, and meaningless forms. Well, we're talking about modern art. This is what they call modern art. You know, the type of art that a five-year-old can do if you give him a brush and a canvas, that's called modern art. And people pay thousands of dollars. It's complete, completely ridiculous. Meanwhile, the real art, the stuff that, that's really hard to make, has been taken down. We've seen so many statues in both the United States and Canada and other countries being taken down through all kinds of agendas, whether it's Black Lives Matters or other stuff. They've been taken down our, our, our heritage of, of art, our heritage of history, uh, what made our countries what, what they were. It's been taken down. So that's part, that's part of the communist agenda. Back in 1963, folks. I mean, that's crazy. Number 25, break down cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography and obscenity in books, magazines, motion pictures, radio, and TV. That's been ongoing for decades now. It's so prevalent that most people don't even notice it anymore. They just watch TV and it's there in their face and, and, and they, they don't even blink. They don't even blink. Number 26, present homosexuality, degeneracy, and promiscuity as normal, natural, and healthy. Again, point 26 of the 45 points of the communist agenda in that book, The Naked Communist. Uh, 
there's so many more. I mean, I, I, I discredit the family as an institution, encourage promiscuity and easy divorce, discredit the American founding fathers, present them as selfish aristocrats who had no concern for the common man. This has all been done. This has all been done. And not just in the United, not just in the United States, in Canada as well. Canada, it's like Canada, we're actually more advanced. For once, we're more advanced than the Americans. Huh? In the agenda, we're we're farther ahead. Woohoo! Party time. No, not so much. Really not. The point is that the, the socialist agenda and communist agenda has been is it's crazy in Canada, the stuff that I've been seeing. I never thought I'd see that. Like I I kind of saw where this was going and I kind of expected it, but I didn't expect it to rise so quickly, so quickly and, and seemingly out of control. And yet it's all contrived. It's all controlled. And yet, despite all these things, despite all of these things that we've been seeing, Christians today, we're waging tomorrow's war with yesterday's intelligence tactics. And see, I've been I, I've been telling you that the enemy is up this game, but we we haven't really upped our game. We haven't really upped our game, and that's why we're in the pickle we're in right now. That's why we're in the pickle we're in. So we have the right weapons. The Lord provides the weapons, right? With the full armor of God, Ephesians six. We have the right weapons, but we don't have the right intelligence tactics. So the right knowledge, the right know-how, the right. Uh, uh, knowledge of what, what we're supposed to do, what the enemy's doing, how to counteract it. We're very, very, we're one step behind in a lot of that stuff because I think we're, we're, uh, geez, we're just not enough in the know. We're just not enough in the know. We, we have book smarts. We have sermon smarts. We have church smarts, but we don't have street smarts and we need to get street smarts. So like I said, our weapons work. Praise God, they always will. But our tactics, our tactics need an overhaul. So in other words, and I wrote this here, that's a good quote. You can, you can tweet it if you want. It's time for Christians to stop being nice and to start being good. There's a huge difference between being nice and being good. And I, I, I've been saying, if you guys have been listening to me for a while, you know I've been saying this uh, for some time, that unfortunately... Unfortunately, a lot of Christians, for a lot of them, Christianity is all about uh, being nice. It's about going every Sunday to a nice place to meet nice people, to hear a nice pastor talk about a nice sermon on how to be nicer to one another, and then go home and be nice all week to people. It, it's not about being nice. Christianity has never been about being nice. It's about being good. And being good sometimes requires a backbone and it requires um, a certain type of assertiveness and a, a certain type of aggressiveness even in the things that, 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 are, that are just plain wrong. Uh, someone once said, and I love that, once said that uh, if God, is, someone said, if God is perfect, uh, why, why does he hate? Well, if God is perfect, he has to hate. If you love children, you will hate those who harm children. If you love justice, you will hate injustice. 
So as believers, we're supposed to think the thoughts of God. We're supposed to think like heaven thinks, think like the Father thinks. So as believers, we're supposed to love people the way God loves people. Now, that's something that Jesus taught us very clearly. But we're also supposed to hate certain things. And we're, we're supposed to, uh, to, to put ourselves between what harms and those we're trying to protect and those we love. So we have to be strong. We have to be good. We can't just be nice anymore. So Proverbs 21, uh, 28, Proverbs 28, 28, verse 1 says, The righteous are as bold as lions. It's time for us to be as bold as lions. I said it earlier. We need to be lions in sheep's clothing. Uh, I liked also, uh, if you watch the news uh, in the last few months, you've seen probably Arthur, uh, Arthur Pulowski, a Canadian pastor from Calgary. He got into all kinds of troubles because he wanted to keep his church open all kinds of trouble with the authorities, he even went to jail and there's a, a arrest mandate on, on him. And he's been in all kinds of trouble because he stood up for the gospel. He stood up for what is right. He, he was bold as a lion. And he said something in an interview that really I, I just loved. He said, lions don't bow to hyenas. He actually kicked out hyenas when they came to his church. He kicked them out saying, get out, get out. You even kicked them out in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and it worked. They left. But the man was bold. The man was, uh, he had righteous anger. He called them communists, communists. And it went viral. That, that video went viral. And he said that in an interview, lions don't bow to hyenas. And guess what, folks? We are surrounded by hyenas. It's not getting easier. It's getting harder. You know, the, the Bible tells us that in the end times, the Antichrist will wage war against the saints. He's going to wage war. He's going he's to be very vicious. We need to know this. We need to arm ourselves with knowledge, intelligence. I'm getting that. I'm getting to that. I'm going to give you definitions of that. But So what worked yesterday in spiritual warfare needs to be amped up. Because some of the things, and I've heard some deliverance ministers on these matters. They've said some of the things that worked easily few years back they don't work anymore to their amazement so that's that we're talking about a, an amped up situation so what happened is that basically the enemy has adapted and counterattacked with new methods that are destabilizing believers we're destabilized the church is destabilized and uh, we've been facing that level of warfare now and we're, we're kind of destabilized. We've been divided and conquered to some degree. Obviously, the church is not conquered because Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right. But we've been divided. So we've lost a lot of battles that we should have won, by the way. So the reason the devil is able to get away with it is because him and his servants, those who serve the, the agenda of darkness, have more street smarts than most believers do. So they use more guile, cleverness. You know, in, in the occult circles, witches, warlocks, and those who, who practice witchcraft, they, they work in a hive mind. They have a hive mind. Uh, they work together, and they work together multi-generationally. -gener 
multi-generational. From one generation to the next, they implement, they, they, they continue the agenda. They continue their own agenda. See, the church, we haven't had much of an agenda. I mean, our, our, our main, our main uh, uh, directive has been the, the, the spreading of the gospel. Uh, but we've been focused on the gospel of salvation. That's another matter entirely. I'm not going to get into the gospel of the kingdom, the differences between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of salvation. But while the gospel of salvation is part of the gospel of the kingdom, they're not one and the same. But we've been focused on the gospel of salvation decade after decade, century after century. But we haven't, it seems like we haven't had a clear plan as to how to, to take back territory from the enemy. How to conquer for our Lord and King. We, we've had a, uh, a hard time doing that. We're more in defensive mode. We're, we're, we're not in conquering mode. We don't think like conquerors. And that's the main difference between the bad guys and the good guys. We don't think like conquerors and we should because that's part of what we're supposed to do. When Jesus said, occupy till I come, that was a military term. In military terms, when you say occupy, like I know when we read the, 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 the story, the, the, the parable of the talents, and he says that in the parable of the talents, we see like occupy, like get busy, uh, engage in business. And that's true too. That is absolutely part of, of what it means. But in military terms, when you say occupy, is you take control. You take control of the situation. And the church is not much into taking control. We're, we're, we're too, we have a hard time with that conquering mentality, conquering for the king, conquering for the kingdom of God, expanding the kingdom. That's stuff we need to get into. We need to get back into. Uh, I'm going to share with you guys that the prayer, I, I, I mentioned earlier how they love to divide us, right? They love to divide and conquer. It makes it so much easier for them to do that. And they, they engage in that a lot. And Jesus knew they would. Jesus knew they would because in his prayer, before he went to the cross, I'm just going to give you a part of that prayer. It's in John 17, verses 14 to 23. I'm going to read it for you guys. Jesus said this. He said, so he's, he's praying for the disciples. He's praying for them, the, the, the disciples that were present at the Last Supper. I have given them your word. Talking about the word of God. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. And I knew it was coming, right? They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for this, uh, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And this gets interesting at verse 20. Jesus kind of shifts his prayer. And he starts praying, not just for the disciples around the table, but he starts praying for you and me. For today, for, for all the, the generations of believers that would follow. Now listen to these powerful words. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. 
And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So for Jesus, the unity and oneness of the church is the best evangelism tool that we have. It's the best evangelism tool that the world has ever seen. That the world may believe that you have sent me, he said. In other words, if we are one, if the church is one, advancing as one, standing firm as one, then the world will know that Jesus was sent by the Father and that he is true and that they should believe in him also. It's the best evangelism tool. And what has Satan been fighting all these centuries and decades? Unity of the church. Create more denominations, more disagreements, more doctrines, more doctrinal disagreements, more uh, just more strife within the body. More strife within the body. And it worked. The enemy knows that divided, we will fall. He knows that. That's why we need to stand as one. So he's been trying really hard with this whole COVID thing to divide the church. We know this. And now, as I kind of laid the groundworks already 34 minutes in, <laughs> I'm going to start getting into the definition of what it means to be street smart, okay? So listen to this. This is really good stuff. I got this from the dictionary, by the way. I didn't invent anything. The dictionary defines street smart as having the experience and knowledge necessary to deal with the, po the potential difficulties or dangers of life in an urban environment. So that's how the dictionary defines street smart. Now, I took this definition and I was like, I need to Christianize this for believers. Believers need to become street smart. But obviously, we're not talking street smart, street smart, like I said, like, how do you survive on the street? But I need to use this and create a definition of what a uh, street smart Christian looks like. So here's the definition. You might want to take this down as notes because it's really good. So a street smart Christian is having the experience knowledge, and wisdom necessary to deal with the potential difficulties or dangers of life in a fallen environment and to navigate them efficiently as ambassadors of Christ. Now, that <laughs> that's a loaded gun right there. <laughs> so I'm going to repeat it for you guys if you want to take jot it down. So the definition of a street smart Christian is having the experience, knowledge, and wisdom necessary to deal with the potential difficulties or dangers of life in a fallen environment and to navigate them efficiently as ambassadors of Christ. That's what I'm hoping this broadcast will do for you. That's what I'm hoping. Uh, and and uh, usually, I mean, if you guys have been following me for a while, uh, sometimes I'll, I'll say something like, they don't teach you this in Sunday school. I mean, obviously, what I'm teaching you tonight, they don't teach you this in Sunday school. 
And I'm going to take you guys, I'm going to give you guys some verses I took out of the scriptures. There are verses that really tell us how to be street smart. And you're going to, you're going to recognize this. I mean, these are verses we're, you're probably familiar with, but we, we kind of like see them as more like, uh, oh, this is rough or that's a hard saying. But these are the verses we need today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share these with you. So Luke 16, verses 8 and 9. It's, it takes place uh, after the parable of the shrewd manager. So it says this. The master, do you remember the, the parable of the shrewd manager? The guy was going to lose his job, right? And, and he knew about it because he had been found out. So what he started doing is he, he went to each of his master's clients who owed the master money. He says, well, how much do you owe? Oh, oh, what, you owe 100? Write down 50. Write down 50. He went to see another. You, how much do you owe? 50? Write down 25. So, so he, he did them a favor because he was thinking about his future employment. He was like, if I'm nice with these guys, they might take me in and become my new masters. In other words, I might, I might have a, a job with them after when I'm done with this one because I know I'm, my days are numbered here. So in the parable, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And then Jesus said, says this, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are people of the light. Now, that's not, Jesus is not saying here that that's a good thing. However, there's a facet of that that's good. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. And then he says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. There's a, like, we could do a whole teaching on that, but it's interesting that Jesus is kind of saying like the facet of using wealth to, to get that favor from these guys the shrewd manager, uh, that, that was something that was kind of street smart. And Jesus was hinting us, hey, see, you know what? I'm not telling you to be like this guy because he was dishonest and all that. However, he had street smarts. And we need to become street smarts. So in other words, what Jesus is saying, be clever enough, be clever enough to use worldly wealth to gain favor with men. There's a way to use money in a way that will gain you favor with men if you're smart enough. It, it, it's not saying that you don't want to butter them up or, 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 or be a, give a, what they, oh man, bribes. I'm not saying give bribes. That's not what I'm saying. But there's, a, there, there's something we can learn from even a shrewd manager. There's a lesson we can learn. The sheeple. Like sometimes we're too much like sheep. And we need to become, we need to take it up. We need to be smarter. And I'm getting to what we need to be at. I'm just going to, Drink some water here. So the favorite, my favorite verse about being a street smart Christian is coming right up. I'm going to share it with you. It's from Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 and 17. The sending of the disciples. Jesus said to them, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. I spoke about that earlier, right? And Jesus says, therefore, therefore, 
And, and uh, I like uh, I heard that before uh, preachers say, uh, when you see therefore, you have to find out what it's there for. So Jesus is saying, behold, I'm sending you out in the world as sheep amongst wolves. That's a dangerous situation. Jesus is not saying that, but it's, it's implied, right? I mean, obviously, if you're sent out as a sheep amongst wolves, it's going to be tough. So that's what the therefore is there. Therefore, Jesus said, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, of men, he said, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in, the, in their synagogues. So if there's one verse that describes street smart Christians, I think that's its love child right there. That's really what I'm getting at in this teaching right now tonight for you guys to get that we really need to become wise as serpents. In other words, see how like the serpents are the people or the wicked people in the world. The wicked people in the world are clever and they have a certain worldly wisdom to them, a certain flavor. And I'm not saying we need to stoop to their level, but I'm saying we need to become wiser than they are. And it's possible because we have God on our side. So we need to kick it up a notch. And we need, while doing this, to remain harmless as doves. See, that's the huge difference. Because while they are wise as serpents, their bite is also deadly. They, 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 they operate as serpents. They operate as scorpions. We won't do that. So we need to be as wise as they are and wiser if possible, and it is because we have God, but to be harmless at the same time. That's what Jesus is telling us, and that's exactly what he was. Jesus Christ, look at his ministry. I mean, I just love how every time he was confronted by the Pharisees, his, his main opponents, he had an answer for them that would like shut them up. I mean, he had this wisdom. He was, I don't like saying this about my Lord, but he was as wise as a serpent himself. He was teaching us to be more like him. Operate on the level of intelligence. And when I say intelligence, I'm talking about military understanding and tactics and understanding of your surroundings, understanding what you're dealing with, understanding who you're dealing with. That's what Jesus did. And he did it better than anyone. So that's what a street smart Christian does. Wise as a serpent, clever, aware, awake, okay, but harmless, meaning kind, innocent as a dove. Now, the next verse that I want to share with you guys that talks about being a street smart Christian is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 to 16. In that passage, Paul said this. He says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And here's verse 15 and 16. Very good stuff here. Be very careful then how you live, 
not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. And man, if 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 it applied then, trust me, it applies today. <laughs> it applies today for sure. You know, Jesus says we're the light of the world. Well, light always exposes darkness. That's what light does. That's what light does. So since we're the light of the world, let's expose darkness, just like Paul says we should do. So uh, John Wesley, John Wesley said this. He said, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. And, you know, I, I spoke about the communist agenda earlier. And, and that's a generational thing. And the more it's been moving forward, the more they've been trying to push for it, the more it seems that generationally we have uh, degraded ourselves into accepting it. We've degraded ourselves into accepting it. There is so much more I wanted to share with you guys. I'm seeing time fly by. There's stuff I wanted to show you. but My goodness. I have this here with me. It's a picture I took from a, a flyer. Uh, in Canada, we have a store called Canadian Tire. And uh, I spoke in an earlier broadcast about the, the rise in unicorns and, and the rise in, in all kinds of, of symbol, symbolism that is found in our children's toys and clothing. Uh, the, the broadcast was called uh, How to Shield Your Children from the Occult. How to Shield Your Children from the Occult. Occult. And I highly recommend that you go back and listen to this broadcast because it was it was a it was the bomb. It was really amazing. Um, but we gave a lot of information about all kinds of stuff that comes um, in very subtle ways, and that you find in our children's clothing, uh, in toys, and all kind cartoons. Oh my goodness cartoons and Disney and all that that like we talked about all that stuff in that broadcast so if you want to get a good dose of information on how to shield your children from the occult go back and listen to that broadcast it was powerful but all this to say uh, getting back I, I spoke in that program about the rise in unicorns everywhere and I was like what's up with unicorns why are they pushing for unicorns everywhere why do we see that on our our, our, our girls girls shirts and and, and and girl apparel especially girls because obviously guys don't like unicorns but unicorn and rainbows really <laughs> we know what the rainbow means and we've been we've been showered with with uh, rainbows uh, uh, unfortunately we we know the biblical definition of a rainbow we know what God meant the rainbow to mean. We know what he wanted it to mean, but it's been hijacked by wicked Luciferians to mean something completely different. It's been perver perverted completely. Uh, so that's what we had to deal with in June. Now, this, uh, so so getting back to the unicorns, I told in the, the broadcast, I was explaining that after doing some research, that the horn of the, on the unicorns that we see so much, like almost everywhere, that horn is a phallic symbol. So if your children are listening, I, I get them out of the room. It's not time to have kids around. Um, just giving you a heads up because I'm going to talk about certain matters here that I don't want, I don't want any children hearing this. Um, but a phallic symbol, for those who don't know, like it's a symbol representing the male organ. Okay. So the horn on, on the, the head of a unicorn represents is a phallic symbol. It's ritual magic. Uh, sexual magic and all that stuff. 
And that's why we often see in, in, in representations of, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, occultic art, we see oftentimes women riding a unicorn. A woman rides the beast, phallic symbol, lady on the unicorn. You see where this is going. Anyway, I talked about that in that broadcast. And lo and behold, I get a Canadian tire. So I'm back full circle here talking about Canadian tire flyer. So I get a Canadian fly tire flyer and they're announcing 15% save on a toy. I'm going to show you the toy here. I hope you can see it properly. Yeah, you can see it. So this is a unicorn inflatable toy. And look at what the phallic symbol is doing on the forehead. Now that's a toy that parents who don't know will buy this summer for their children to play with in the backyard. So they're gonna plug the hose in there and have fun kids. And that is the level of warfare we're dealing with here. Stuff that is so subtle that most believers are completely unaware, might buy that cursed object because it is a cursed object, bring it into their home, put their kids under a curse literally because they're gonna be running under that thing, Put the kids under a curse. See, the people who design this stuff, they're not innocent. The people at the very top, those with the big ideas, you know, they're not innocent. They're like they, they infiltrated all levels of society in, in, in so many ways. Uh, another thing that I've noticed that I wanted to share with you guys is, uh, I, I uh, you know, when you uh, you bring your kids to the park, I'm, and that's, I'm not saying all parks are, all playgrounds are like this, but there's uh, playgrounds that have um, water games, you know, fountains and all kinds of stuff. And I've noticed this. There was there was one playground near where I live back in Quebec, and there's the same thing here where I live in Prince Edward Island. And uh, I don't know how many of those types of playgrounds exist, but there are playgrounds where they're in the middle of the playground. There's a basically a column, a colored column of um, cement that acts as the, uh, the activator, if you will, of the water games. And it's shaped like a phallus. And I'm not, I'm not kidding you, this stuff exists. It's shaped like a phallus. It's about maybe three feet tall. And the kids need to pass their hands on the top of it to activate the water spraying in the park. I kid you not, that stuff is in our communities. It's in our playgrounds. So basically kids get to the center. It's at the center. They, they, they have this column that's shaped like, you know what? They rub the head of it, the top of it, and it activates the water so that they can go play under the water. And we, as parents, we bring our children there to have a good time, to have fun, and yet, you got to wonder what this can do potentially, spiritually speaking, to the kids when we don't know. When we don't know this stuff, it's absolutely horrible what, what these maniacs are doing. It's not accidental. See, a lot of people will think, well, that's, that's it's, you know, circumstantial. I mean, it's, it's not, we don't, they probably didn't do it on purpose. It's just like, it could have looked like anything. Really? You think that? I'm sorry. Like if you see these parks, if you if you go to these playgrounds, and you see that uh, uh, the way it's made, you're gonna be like, you're gonna think twice. Trust me. It's it's 
quite evident when, once your eyes are opened. Once your eyes are opened, you're going to be like, whoa, wait a minute. This is not a sane, a sane game here. Uh, there was another thing um, recently that went viral on, on YouTube. Uh, Lance Walno shared it. A lot of people shared it. Uh, there was this San Francisco gay men chorus. Now, they, they got together and they made a chorus and they, they, it was just provocation. They just wanted to get Christians off their like off their rockers, so they made this choir, and they're singing in the choir. We're coming after your children. They're literally saying, "We are coming after your children," and you might say, "Oh, well, they're just uh, jesting. They're just teasing Christians because they hate Christians." Yeah, sure, could be, but let me tell you, the guy at the beginning of that video. The, the, the solo singer who starts the whole course, that guy, look at his eyes. If you, if you go see that on YouTube, look at his eyes, man, I'm telling you the lights are home. The lights are on. There's nobody home there. That's not like that. That guy has serious deliverance issues. Okay. And I'm telling you, these, these are demonic agendas that are thrown at us and we need to start being aware of what's going on. We need to start away. There's another thing that I remember uh, a while back that I wanted to share with you guys. Uh, maybe a couple of years ago, I, I saw on the social media an ad for a Christian witchcraft seminar. That's exactly what it was. It was a witch. She says, learn Christian witchcraft. And she was announcing that she was launching a seminar, inviting people to sign up for her seminar on how to learn Christian witchcraft. Now, it's interesting to me because the video got so much re so much reactions from believers, they started sharing the heck out of it. They were appalled. Look at what they're doing. Look at what the... Da, da, da. Meanwhile, those witches who had spun this ad, this sponsored ad, they were going like... <laughs> Their sponsored ad was getting shared after shared after shared thousands of times by angry Christians. Now, these chances are these angry Christians have pagan friends or people who are not born again who are going to see this and want to want to do what? Hey, I'm interested in learning witchcraft, Christian witchcraft. That sounds interesting to me. I'm going to sign up, give them my money. So it worked. The tactic worked. The tactic was very simple. Get Christians angry enough to share the heck out of that video so that we get free promotion and free publicity. See how, how cunning they are. That's what I mean. That's what we're dealing with here. And that's what we have to become street smarter to spot this kind of stuff and react to it and be like, I ain't going to fall for that. I'm going to talk about it like I'm doing now. I'm not, I'm not going to share it. I actually was going to share it. I remember I was like, oh, I'm going to share this. This is crazy. And I went like, wait a minute. If I share it, that's serving them. I'm not going to do that. So it, we, have to, we have to see these things. Okay. I've spoken for 56 minutes, and you guys might be still wondering, like, well, Sebastian, you said it was six steps to becoming a street smart Christian. I'm still waiting for the six steps. We're here. I'm going to share them. And pay attention. Step number one, sharpen your discernment. Obviously, 
sharpen your discernment. I've been talking about that time and again during this teaching. We need to sharpen our discernment. It, it, see, discernment is not just a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual responsibility. Let me repeat that. Discernment is not just a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual responsibility. Some Christians, some believers are given from, by the Holy Spirit a, a, a gift, a spiritual gift of discernment. They discern the spirits, boom, 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 left and right. See it right away, right away, right away, right away. It's a gift. Good for them. We need people like that in the body of Christ. But we need to, to ask for discernment. We need to ask for wisdom, right? The Bible tells us when, if we lack wisdom. Discernment is part of wisdom. It's, it's, a, it's a component of wisdom. So we need to ask God for more discernment. Why? Because the, the days are evil, like Paul says. The days are evil. And evil is not, the specialty of evil is covert. It used to be anyway. <laughs> so the, the, the Satan's best work is done covertly. And for us, we need, we need to recognize his schemes. And for that, we need to discern. We need to be more discerning. So sharpen your discernment. That's step number one. Step number two, and this is so important, step number two. I love this one. Do not, do not get easily offended. Do you remember, uh, you probably do, Little House on the Prairie, that wonderful series from the 1980s. Uh, the uh, store owner, the mother of Nellie Olson, she was called Harriet Olson. She was always so easily offended. If she saw a worm, she'd squirm. She would, ooh. Like if she saw a dirty boy, ooh. She was always offended. And it, it's kind of funny because some Christians, some believers are too easily offended. We, we act too much like that. We, we're easily offended. And uh, we... <laughs> It's important for us to not be easily offended because if you're too easily offended, you're going to shy away from the war and you're going to be, you're not going to be uh, standing strong. There's a, there's two guys I, I like to follow. I'm not going to mention any names, but there, 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 there's two guys I like to follow. And, and one of them, is more easily offended than others. So he always posts videos. Uh, look at this. Look look at that. Look at look at what such and such is doing. Or Pentecostals. So they're like heresy hunters. Their ministry is like more heresy hunters. And they're easily offended. And, and there's a place for that. There's a place for that. I mean, I'm doing it tonight. I'm exposing stuff tonight. Okay. But I don't name any names if I'm going to go. Uh, like if, if you go in the body of Christ. Sometimes you might have to name names. Sometimes it's necessary. But there's been a multiplication of the, these ministries, so-called ministries. The, all they do is they, they heresy hunt or what they think are heresies. And that's the, that's the dangerous thing here. They go after what they think is a heresy and ex, expose it. All the while, they may be wrong and they never take that into account. What if I'm wrong? See, there's things I used to believe 10 years ago that I thought were heretics or heresies that I embrace today. 
That's the work that God can do in a man's heart. And I've had to repent of some of those things. I mean, I still can recognize heresy when I see it. But the point is, uh, back then, I saw a lot more things as heresies. And when I got to experience them or learn about them, guess what? I realized, whoa, those weren't heresies. I was wrong. I was thinking they were heresies, but I needed to learn something new. And God needed to guide me there. So you got to be careful about that. So don't be like Mrs. Hulse, Mrs. Olson. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verses 10 to 12, he's talking about the end times, what it's going to be like. And here's what he said. And then many will be offended. Now notice when Jesus says this, it's not a good thing. Okay, it's a bad thing. Many will be offended, will betray one another, betray one another, and will hate one another. Then, then, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So what happens when many become offended? It gives room for false prophets. Wow, that's interesting. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. So there's another result of the offense. The more you're offended, the more your love grows cold. It shrivels your heart. You know what I mean? For example, Mrs. Olson in Little House, she was not a loving person. You cannot be always offended and be loving at the same time. It does not exist. These two things do, cannot coexist. If you're easily offended, you cannot be loving. Think about that. That's a powerful statement. If you're easily offended, you cannot be loving. So you have to develop a tougher, thicker skin, okay? Spiritually speaking. Number three. Number three, be willing to get informed about what the enemy is doing. Now, this is so important. This is so important. I've shared with you tonight some of the stuff that the enemy is doing because it's necessary that we know what he's trying to do. Why is it necessary? For means of intercession. For means of intercession. When we understand what the enemy is doing, we can pray more effectively. Tear down strongholds in spiritual warfare. If you know what the enemy's agenda, what he's planning, what he's trying to do, you can pray against it. Tear it down. Bring it down. You're more strategic in your warfare. You're more efficient in your prayer and intercession. So a street smart Christian will not shy away from familiarizing himself with the devil's schemes and agendas. You won't shy away from that. And, and I told you about that uh, earlier when I gave the analogy of the boxer, Muhammad Ali. It's important to know what you're doing, your preparation, everything about your strategy. But if you don't know what the other guy is like, how he fights, it's going to be hard to counter. And one uh, guy abounded uh, in this. Uh, that guy was Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu wrote The Art of War. The Art of War, very well-known book, ancient uh, book from China. Uh, but he wrote this, this wise man from China, Sun Tzu. He wrote, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. Think about that. That's very wise, these words, very wise. Now, he said, 
if you know yourself, but not the enemy. For every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. Now, he added, if you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. So he, he goes by saying, if you know yourself and the enemy, you're going to be just fine. If you know, uh, if you know yourself, but not the enemy, then for every victory gained, you're also going to suffer a defeat. Makes sense. And now he says, if you know neither yourself or your enemy, then you will succumb in every battle. We need to always stay plugged into what the Holy Spirit is telling us for our lives. We need to always stay plugged into the Father's battery, the Holy Ghost. Prayer intercession, Bible reading, decreeing, declaring, time with God, meditating on his word, all these things. We need to stay plugged into it because this will reveal to us the will of God for our personal life, the will of God on a grander scale, uh, understanding what he's doing, what his agenda is. The Father has a very precise agenda and the great news about god is he's never lost not even once not ever like i think his, his record is like 1500 billion victories to zero losses something like that so that's good news but we also need to be aware you know paul says we are not unaware of the devil's schemes in other words we're, we we know what, he, what he's doing we need to know we need to know what he's doing so the Bible tells us that the Antichrist will wage war against the saints and unfortunately conquer them. That's in the end times. That's in the tribulation. He's going to wage war against the saints and conquer them. And there's two passages that, that actually confirm this. And I know that's not fun to talk about because I believe that we're rapidly approaching these days, these end days. I believe we're rapidly approaching them if we're not in them right now. So nobody wants to be on the losing side of a battle, a battle, not the war, a battle. But unfortunately, Daniel 7.21 and Revelation 13.7 says that the saints will be conquered by the Antichrist. Now, which saints? Now, that's a question. I'm not going to get into that. When does the rapture uh, occur? Does it happen uh, at the beginning of the tribulation, at the middle, at the end? Uh, my personal take on it is in the middle. But I'm not going to get into that tonight. But I believe that there, there are saints. Obviously, the, the scriptures are very clear about that. They're not going to go to war against the Antichrist. And unfortunately, he will conquer them. Now, I don't know about you guys. Okay? I don't feel like getting conquered. I don't feel like that. That's not going to happen on my watch. It's not, you know, even if the Bible tells us this, I, I'm not going to, I'm going to put up a good fight. I'm going to fight the good fight like the Apostle Paul. The army, I mentioned this earlier, uses the term intelligence, intelligence as being inside information on what the enemy is up to. So in military terms, intelligence is the knowledge of what the enemy is up to. I think we need to become intelligent Christians. We need to become street smart we need to develop that kind of tactical intelligence. There's another thing that I want to share with you guys. The apocryphal gospel of Thomas. 
has an interesting saying, and I'm sharing this with you guys. I know some of you guys are offended by, oh, he's quoting from outside the scriptures, from apocryphal scriptures. And I'm not putting these scriptures on the same footing as our traditional, our Bible. But these readings are really interesting because sometimes there's some inklings of, of, there's some truths in there, there are nuggets in there. These books are worth reading anyway. Jesus said this in the Gospel of Thomas. Very interesting. He said, let him who seeks continue seeking until he finds. Now, that's reminiscent of when Jesus said, uh, keep on uh, seeking, asking and knocking, right? Remember that in the Gospels? But in the Gospel of Thomas, he says this, let him who seeks continue seeking until he finds. When he finds, he will become troubled. When he becomes troubled, he will be astonished. And he will rule over all. Isn't that interesting? So Jesus is inviting us to be seekers, to push the envelope, to seek, ask, knock, to be sincere seekers. And he says that keep doing that until you find. When you find, you're going to be astonished. There's some astonishing stuff. There's stuff that blew my mind. And I won't, I, I've done, I, I'm a researcher. I love to research. I've been doing research for years. I've been sharing some of those nuggets with you guys tonight. When he finds, he will become troubled. There's stuff that I've shared with you guys tonight. Let's be honest. It's troubling. The unicorn thing, the, 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 what's going on in our playgrounds, the stuff, the, the stuff that's going on in schools, the communist agenda. These things are troubling. When he becomes troubled, he will be astonished, and then he will rule over all. So there's a progression there. Notice the progression. There is a blessing attached, I believe, to becoming a street smart Christian, being part of that remnant, end times remnant. And that's what I want my listeners to become. I'm encouraging you guys to, Jesus, I can't press this enough. This is on my heart. Know God, know his word, know his will for your life, know your purpose, know your assignment, walk in it with all of your might. But also take the time to know what the enemy is up to so that you can counter it and be efficient in battle. Number four, I'm going to try to hurry a little bit up. In one hour and 11 minutes, I had written 13 pages for this broadcast. Can imagine, imagine that, 13 pages. Number four of the six steps you need to, to do to become street smart, engage the culture. Engage the culture. Now, Jesus says, we are in the world, but we're not of it. We are salt. We are light. As salt and as light, we are to engage the culture. Jesus said that Jesus gave us this, this very good illustration when he said, you're salt, you're light. Salt seasons, salt purifies. Salt plays a big part in all kinds of things. Uh, we need to purify the culture by being its salt. As lights, we need to expose the darkness. We need to engage the culture. But we need to engage the culture without becoming a part of the culture. Now, that's the balance that Christians need to have. Engage the culture, but don't become part of the culture. 
So this means that we are to know what's going on in the culture so as to make our testimony relevant to people in the culture. We are called to become beacons of light amidst the culture. For example, I'm going to give you a few examples here. Do you know in general what's popular, what people are reading? I'm talking about non-Christians here, okay? I'm talking about the culture. Do you know what books are popular? What are people reading? I often say on my broadcast, if you read what everybody else is reading, you're going to be thinking what everybody else is thinking. As a Christian, we're not supposed to read what everybody else is reading. Praise God. But it's good to know what people are reading to know what they might be thinking. Right? Okay. Do you know what, generally speaking, what people believe about God, what they believe about heaven, hell, demons? Do you talk to your coworkers? Do you talk with, with, with people who are non-believers? Uh, 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 pick, their, pick their brains a little bit. Try to figure them out a little bit. Try to know where they're coming from, how they interpret matters, how they interpret things. So you know how to better engage them. Do you know what they're watching on TV? You probably do. So let's skip that one. <laughs> do you know what worries them about society? So an unbeliever, let's take a, a, a non-believer who's a liberal. That's a, pretty much as far removed as, as a Christian conservative can be. But if you have a non-believer who is a liberal, well, what keeps them up at night when they think about society? What worries them? How does how do they reason things? Sometimes they reason things, let's be honest. Sometimes they have demonic thoughts. They, they're completely brainwashed, and I understand that. But we still need to understand where they're coming from, how they interpret these things to better engage them. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was, I think, in the New Testament, the best person at engaging culture. He was the best at it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 22 to 23, he says this. That's from the Amplified Bible, by the way. He says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 22, 23. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means, in any and every way, save some by leading them to faith in Jesus Christ. And if I do all this for the sake of the gospel, so that, no, and I do all this for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings along with you. So Paul was an expert at engaging culture. And, and there's something I want to share with you guys. It's really, really good stuff here. He did just that when he was in Athens. When Paul was in Athens, he expertly engaged the culture. It was, it was flawless. It's beautiful. I'm going to share it with you. It's in Acts chapter 17, verses 22 and 23, again, from the Amplified Version. So Paul, standing in the center of the Areopagus, Areopagus, I hope I'm pronouncing that. I'm probably massacring it. Here's what he said. So he was in an important place in Athens where the philosophers assembled and all the smart people of the city assembled. And he said, men of Athens, I observe with every turn I make throughout the city that you are very religious and devout in all respects. Now, 
As I was going along and carefully looking at your objects of worship, notice this. Paul says he observes. He observes that they are religious. He says, as I was going and carefully looking at your objects of worship, I came to an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. And then Paul says, therefore, what you already worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And then Paul moves on and gives an extraordinary expose of the gospel of Jesus Christ, saving many men. Now, I love this passage because it really shows us many things. Is at the center of the, the, the I guess, the, the wisdom center of the city, the Areopagus, where the wise men of the city assemble. So he's with the, the influencers, I guess you could say. He says, I observe. I took the time to look at you, how you guys do things. And he says, I, I was going along in your city carefully looking at everything. So what did Paul do? Paul acted as a Marine. He was basically showing great tactical intelligence, great street smarts, literally street smarts. He was going through their streets. So he was doing some reconnaissance. Paul's in Athens, going through the streets, looking at the statues, looking at the gods they worship, looking at their structures, considering their philosophies, engaging with the people, chit-chatting with a few of the locals, getting, his grasp, getting a grasp of what the population of Athens generally, what made them tick, what they're thinking, what are their ways, how do they consider life, how do they perceive stuff. And then he engaged them. Paul engaged the culture better than anyone. So he, he took the time to study them before he engaged them. And that's what we should do without being part of what they engage in. Number five of the six steps to become a street smart Christian, be bold enough to expose evil. So Paul prayed for boldness. And I, I spoke of this in a teaching I did uh, on uh, kingdom leadership. The episode on boldness, I spoke of how Paul was very bold, but he wasn't always bold and he needed to pray for boldness. He needed, he, he, he was in fact very, he said to the, geez, I forget uh, which church he told that to. I think it was the Corinthians, but I'm not sure. He says, he says to them, I came to you trembling. I, I was coming to you and I was trembling because of what I, I was going to have to tell you guys. So Paul had his struggles. He had his fears. So remember, uh, so in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul says, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Fearlessly. And remember, uh, like I mentioned earlier, Ephesians 5.11, do not participate in the worthless and unproductive deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. 
that takes guts. It takes courage. It's hard. It's hard. Uh, and I saw a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Greg Locke, he posted a video on social media. If you don't know Greg Locke, he's worth knowing. He's a, a Christian pastor. I think he's in the state of uh, Texas, but I'm not sure. Um, very bold guy. He's very bold for the gospel. And he's, he's really facing up to what the government are trying to do, like by closing down churches and doing all kinds of stuff. And he's really taking a stand. So Greg Locke, a couple of weeks ago, he was attacked by mobs of Antifa. And, and he said this, uh, he, posted, he posted the video of, of that, what happened there, that, that, that um, it was pretty rowdy, but uh, he, he, he was unscathed. But he said this, he said, I will not back down. I have been called to preach the gospel. And then he said, come on, church, let's roll. Come on, church, let's roll. He's bold enough to expose evil. And in a day when evil abounds, we have to be bold enough to expose evil. Finally, number six. Finally, number six. Always be prepared. That's the motto of the Boy Scouts of America. That's their motto. Always be prepared. Now, the Boy Scouts, they do their good deed, one good deed a day or more, but they also choose to always be prepared. So does Batman, by the way. Proverbs 22, verse 3 says this, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and they suffer for it. So always be prepared. I always tell people uh, on my broadcast, uh, last year I've been saying that quite a bit, having three months, and you can tweet this, this is really good, by the way, having three months of food reserves and a firearm to protect your family doesn't make you any less spirit-filled. Let me repeat that because this is really good stuff. I'm preaching good. Don't put me down here. Having three months of food reserves and a firearm to protect your family doesn't make you any less spirit-filled, but it does make you prepared. It does make you always prepared. I mean, we, we, know, we know the agendas. Like we, we, I don't have time to go through all the stuff, I mean, obviously. But look, look that up. Do your own research. Uh, deep state, the deep state. What, the, what does that mean? Agenda 21. Basically, Agenda 21 is um, they're the wicked ones, and Bill Gates is one of them. They buy farmlands, acres and acres and thousands of acres of farmlands. They want to control the farms, but they want to, at the same time, they want to implement uh, city life. They want to push people to go crowd themselves and, and, and be packed together in cities more and more. They want to eliminate that's part of Agenda 21. They want to eliminate rural areas. They want to make it very, very hard for people in rural areas to have a quality of life. So that's part of Agenda 21. So that's something you should look into. There, there's other stuff I wanted you guys to um, look into. And I had it here. Yeah. 
there's a book you can look up also uh, that uh, that that book was is actually a document. It was found in a photocopier back in the 1970s. It was a used photocopier, you know, when they were in warehouses where they sell uh, used office equipment at a rebate or low prices, whatever. There was a man who went there to buy a photocopier and he found a document called Silent Weapons for a Quiet War. And basically, Silent Weapons for a Quiet War is pretty much the agenda from that day, from that time, all the way, kind of like the communist agenda, all the way to today. And if you read that today, and that was found in the 1970s, end of the 70s or something, 79 maybe, if you read that today, you'll be shocked. Like the Gospel of Thomas says, you'll be astonished. <laughs> but at the same time, it's going to open your eyes like, whoa, they've been planning this a long time. And it's moving along. Like they, they are far in their, in their implementation. Oh, geez, there's so much I wanted to share with you guys. But the time time is of the essence. So let's just recap as I, as I come. Oh, another thing I wanted to share with you guys before I recap, before I, I close this. I unpacked a lot tonight. I understand that. But before I, I do the recap, have you under, uh, have you uh, noticed that the, sh the, the food, we know that the food prices are shooting up? Huh? I mean, it, there's hyperinflation going on in many, many parts of the world. United States, Canada, here it's been crazy. I mean, prices have been going up like crazy in the last year. But not only are the prices going up, but the packagings are becoming smaller. I mean... 10 years ago, there's something I like to buy. I had a guilty pleasure sometimes. I like to buy myself a uh, Swanson Hungry Man. It was a big box uh, of TV dinner, what they call TV dinner. The reason I like to buy that is because when I was a kid, I used to love TV dinners, but my mom never bought any. So like, I'm, I'm a grown man now. And sometimes, like maybe twice a year, I go to Walmart and I'll buy myself a TV dinner. And I like the Hungry Man format. Because there was more food. Well, I noticed that that Hungry Man box shrunk, but significantly. It used to be a pretty decent portion. And last time I bought Hungry Man, I was with my son and I bought some for him. I bought some for my daughters. We were going to have like a, a an evening at home. Mom was gone. Let's just watch TV. Let's have TV dinners together. And I buy these Hungry Man portions. And I was like, man, these are shrunk. Either that or I'm getting bigger. But I noticed how they shrunk. And, and not only did they shrink, but they became, they basically are now what the regular portions used to be. And they call that Hungry Man. And I, and I looked at the regular portions. It's, it's a joke. But the prices haven't gone down. So they shrink the portions. And they do that with all kinds of product, produce and product, products uh, at Walmart. They shrink the packaging. They shrink the boxes. They shrink the quantities. Another thing that I noticed recently, I love these Magnum bars, you know, these chocolate with ice cream covered chocolate deliciousness. I'm probably going to have one after the show. But these have shrunk as well. They used to be pretty big. Like they, they used to be decent. Now they shrunk like, like little diet portions. It's so sad. But the prices have shot up. So they shrunk them and they put the prices even higher. It's, 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 it's incredible. So that's also part of the, the stuff that we need to know. Like, okay, this is going on. Well, that means having three months of food is a good idea. If, there is, if the hyperinflation gets out of hand, 
the economy could crash. If the economy crashes, having extra food, stock, stocked up food is a good idea. Like you don't want to go all prepper, all, all crazy, because we have God on our side. We have the kingdom of God. I mean, we have access to the throne, to the Father's provision. So when all else fails, you know, if we did everything we could to stand and, and we, we prepared ourselves and, and we did what we were called to do as intelligent, street smart believers, God is there. God can provide for us miraculously. He can give manna in your backyard. He did it for the Israelites. There's no reason why he, shouldn't, he couldn't do it for you. The point is, God can provide supernaturally at any point in time, depending on our needs. And we need to remain aware of that. But we can't depend solely on that. He also gave us a brain and a mind, and we need to, to use it smart, to be a street smart Christian. So always be prepared. So let's recap. The six ways to become a street smart Christian are, number one, sharpen your discernment. Number two, do not be easily offended. Because those who are easily offended, their love grows cold. Their love grows cold. Number three, be willing to get informed about what the enemy is doing. It's great to know what God's doing. And we need to know what God's doing. But it's good to know what the enemy is doing too, to be more efficient in spiritual warfare. Number four, engage the culture. Do not become part of the culture, but engage it. Number five, be bold enough to expose evil. That requires courage. We can pray for courage. We need courage. I need courage. You need courage. Paul needed courage. So let's not have false bravado here. You know, let's be honest enough to say, you know what? These these are tough times. And sometimes, am I scared sometimes? Yeah. Uh, some A friend asked me that uh, not long ago, a few months ago. We were having a conversation on Messenger. And uh, he, he was saying, he said, are, are you scared of what's happening? Are you scared about all the, the, the vaccine agenda, all the stuff that's happening? I said, you know what? When I, when I take my eyes off Christ, I am scared but not when I keep my eyes on Christ. So that's the, that's the thing. That's the thing. We need to be, um, we need to be honest with ourselves. This, that, you know, we need to be courageous. Number five, be bold enough to expose evil. Like I mentioned, number six, always be prepared. And, you know, speaking of preparation, I'm just going to end with uh, uh, talking about my most recent book, uh, kingdom fundamentals. I mean, tonight I, I spoke of all, you know, all kinds of stuff, uh, mostly the enemy's agenda, but we need to be street smart. But, and then I gave you six great steps, like six really good steps to become a street smart Christian, which is what is required of us as believers. We're not to be dumb sheep, you know, we're vulnerable as sheep, but we are to be wise as serpents, right? So if you want to take it a step further, if you want to implement a seventh step, we need to become kingdom smart, street smart Christians. And for that, to become kingdom smart, street smart, street smart Christians, that's my latest book, Kingdom Fundamentals, 355 pages, where I really take the time and, and God gave me some incredible revelations for this book. But I dive in everything about the kingdom of God and how to operate in it, how to find your place in the kingdom of God, 
and how to bring heaven to bear down on the earth. How to seize that kingdom that the Father has prepared for us since the beginning of, of time. See, a lot of the, the problem, and we talk about this kind of jokingly sometimes with my wife and I, but the problem with the kingdom of God is that most Christians think they already know the kingdom of God. And when you take the time to study everything about the kingdom of God, you realize that you didn't know much about the kingdom of God, <laughs> which is why I wrote 355, 355 pages about it. I mean, I could fill a huge book, uh, and, and I'm not the first one to do so. But the point is, we need to become kingdom smart. We need to become kingdom equipped. We need to become uh, uh, engage, to engage the culture. We need to bring heaven to bear down on the earth. We need to carry heaven, the kingdom of God, wherever we go. And we do carry it, but we don't often we don't often influence the culture. We don't often influence the workplace. We don't often influence uh, people because we don't understand how kingdom laws operate, how to operate ourselves in the kingdom of God, and how to make the kingdom of heaven manifest on the earth in a powerful way. This book teaches you how. It's it's going to change your life. I, I strongly believe this, that this book is a game changer. And it's this book is going to war with religion, with the spirit of religion. And it's it's basically, it was written to bring back to the forefront the doctrine and implementation of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God, which is really good news. I mean, we've been taught for centuries, centuries now, the gospel of salvation. And we were taught this as this is it. It's all about salvation. But it's about so much more than just salvation. And I explain that in the book Kingdom Fundamentals in such a powerful, life-changing way. If you didn't get your copy yet, make sure you get it. It's going to change your life. So I'm going to end with this. I hope this broadcast has blessed you. If it has, make sure you share it with your friends. And uh, next week, I'll be back uh, talking about more about the kingdom of God. I took a little uh, hiatus this week because I really felt that this was a now word. These six steps to become a street smart Christian is a now word. It needs to come out. It needs to be shared. So uh, make sure you do share it. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Have a thriving week. May you thrive on purpose always. And I will see you next week. God bless you.